listener exclusive. Say that's not the case, we'll just go out and wing it. We are two guys, one cup. Hello and welcome to Two Guys, One Cup. I'm Charlie Clawson and this is our summer series, My Club, where I chat to some famous Australians about the teams they love and sometimes hate. And my guest this week is a star of the of the, of the stage and screen. I don't know why I singularized that, the stage and screen. Just one stage and one screen. Roger Corsa, welcome to Two Guys, One Cup. Thank you, mate. I bought my own cup. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to ask what you're sipping from that. Now, uh, I got you on to talk about uh, the Hawks, the beloved Hawks, your beloved Hawks. Now, I'm really keen to talk to you. I've been trying to get you on the show for a couple of years. When we first did my club, you, you turned me down. Well, I've got, I've got to make you work a little bit harder than that, mate. I'm going to just, I just, just turn over for anyone. <laughs> I'm always fascinated to get into the mind of a Hawthorne supporter because it is, I imagine, the complete opposite to me, a St Kilda supporter, because all you've ever had, like I think I worked it out. Or, or uh, So Hawthorne, the most successful club of the modern era, if you look at the last, I think it's 40 years on average, you have to wait about three years to see a flag. Like if you averaged out all the flags, you guys have won. Yeah, but Charlie, I'll stop you there, I mean, comparing pain. Do you know how long it's been since my last three peaks? <laughs> I mean, but that is it, right, isn't it? Like that is the thing about being a Hawthorne supporter. Like, no, it's been almost a decade. There's no one really else, not even Geelong, like not even the Swans who uh, people think of as perennially successful clubs. Like, you know, it was 10 years between Geelong's last flag and we've all thought, they played finals that whole time, but we've all thought of them as being successful. I had Emma Race on last time we did my club. She's a Hawks supporter. And I said to her, like, do you think the fact that you barrack for this club that is just like always delivering you gold, do you think that that has shaped you psychologically, like your attitude to life? Do you believe that anything is possible? <laughs> so let me ask the same question of you. Do you think, like, how do you think it's improved your psychological profile? I think it makes us kind of the millennial of the football supporter world, or what, what's what's the, what's after the millennials? The Gen, Gen Z, millennials. Gen, Gen, yeah, millennials. You know how they can't? They've got no patience. <laughs> they can't wait for anything. They're spoiled, <laughs> like my like my kids. Right. Right. You know, they're used to streaming TV and getting everything on demand and, like, why haven't I got this now? They're like, why haven't we got a premiership? We've waited so does years. that mean, like, you know, there are there are lulls? Like, it's not like you are winning a flag every three years. That's obviously an average. So there's been, like, periods of time, you know, sort of the late 90s, early 2000s. Well, we won 91 when uh, when Angry came out on the Batmobile. Yeah, too old, too slow, too bloody good, I believe was the slogan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> At the, at the only one at VFL Park, yeah. in memory. And then I think Crawf joined the next year and famously, obviously, he won a flag in 08 on his last ever game. So there was that drought from sort of 92 to 08. Oh, did you really use the word drought? You're talking to a guy who supports a club. I think it's where, what is it, 56 years, I think, is where we're now currently, at like 10 years longer than I have been alive is my current drought. But I'm keen to know, I don't know any different. Like I just stick with this club because losing's what they do. So how hard is it for you 
to like, are you bandwagony in a sense? Like, do you sort of get more excited during those like premiership year finals eras? Uh, yeah. I mean, I live away from Melbourne. I've lived almost 25 years up in Sydney. Now I've had a lot of time in between when I've had work down in Melbourne for, you know, six months of the year. So I get to sort of reconnect with the club and, you know, jump on the train or the tram and, you know, go to the G and mm. sort of do that, you know, half a dozen times a year where, you know, I, if I see one game of footy a year, you know, it's probably going to be a Swans game and I'll take my kids. Yeah. You know, and if the Hawks are up here, you know, maybe I'll try and go out to Homebush and, and see the a Giants game or something. So so I, I do come in and, 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 and come out. So, I mean, my sort of knowledge of the, the Hawks is probably more in this era. So for people who are for, for people who are listening, Roger's wearing a vintage 1984 HFC Hawks training Guernsey, VFL era. VFL era, yeah. Um, and, then, and then, you know, I got, when Buddy first joined and, and Ralph and, you know, the start of the Clarko era, mm. I, and I was working in Melbourne, so it was sort of, it was sort of the mid-noughties, you know, then heading up to that 08 sort of period, you know, and I was working there quite a bit. So, yeah, so I sort of knew, knew the team pretty pretty well. So, yeah, you do, you do sort of float in and out because Sydney's different, obviously, as you know, you know, when you're in that bubble, footy just surrounds you. And look, you can jump on, you know, Fox footy if you wanted to and, and sort of try, but it's not the same though, is it, you know, being in No, I'm... I- I remember you called me last year um, on the off chance that I was in Melbourne because you were down for work and you called me to say, hey, like it's Friday, I'm just walking through the city, I see people going to the MCG. I thought if you're around, maybe we could go grab a beer and go to the footy. And I totally got what you were talking about. There is something unique to Melbourne about footy, especially like when it's winter, there's that feeling in the air, you know, you see people in the scarves and stuff making their way. There's something kind of magical about it. Like I've always said that the best time of the year for me, and I admittedly only really follow AFL, but that grand final week in Melbourne when everyone is a supporter, like every cafe you go to, every, you know, restaurant, there's there's colours in the wall. It's such a great, like, electricity. And that walk to the G from Fed Square is so much fun. Now, do you think that they've stuffed it up with the uh, the day off on the Friday? Yeah. What do you mean? Because the people like- tell, well, Melbourneians tell me that, you know, they love a long weekend and if we're supposed to um, help with the atmosphere, people would come into the city. But really it was people who worked in the city would come out for the parade yeah, and maybe, you know, have a long lunch and not go back to work. But if they're given the day off, they take off for a three-day holiday and there's less people, there's more, you know, especially there's interstate uh, teams involved, there's more interstate people than Melbournians in the CBD. I think it's a combination of that and COVID as well, you know. Like I think the fact that we played the grand finals outside of Melbourne and you know, you know the one in WA was awesome. Even you know the Geelong, Gabba uh, the Geelong Gabba one against Richmond was was awesome as well. And it sort of did get us thinking. Oh, maybe it should be more of a, a Super Bowl style atmosphere. But mm. I feel like you can't really go past the MCG. And you, I imagine, <laughs> would know that very well. <laughs> like Grand Final Week. I've been to a few. I mean, I've been to a few. I've been. My first was '89. I went to the '89. You were at the 89 Grand Final. I went to the 89. I went with my dad. My dad worked for um, Grollo's, you know, the uh, concreting uh, mm. sort of a uh, huge company down there in Melbourne. Yeah, I believe and, they're um, injecting that, that into Gary Ayres' thighs uh, yeah, <laughs> in um, that season. So, so uh, Bruno and Reno Grollo, uh, uh, Carlton, obviously, yeah. Carlton supporters. And it was kind of the, the era um, when Hawthorne and Carlton shared Princess Park as before Hawthorne went out to Fairfield Park. Waverley. Um, so they had a box and so they give it to dad because they didn't want to go and see Hawthorne games. Um, and then I think, you know, he got some 
tickets, two tickets to the North Bay. It wasn't the breakfast. He got tickets to North Melbourne brunch. Um, so it was my first ever corporate thing as a 16-year-old and went along, you know, table of 10, and they had a comedian and an entertainer, entertainer and some, some panellists up there. And I just – it was an eye-opener as a 16-year-old because everyone walked in and was so impeccably dressed and had suits and everything on. And by about an hour and a half in – it was just mayhem because people were so had, – no one had eaten and everyone was just straight, straight into the long necks. And there was a, there was a, like a, um, a novelty kind of football as a centrepiece out of each table. Well, by yeah. about an hour and a half in, people were on the tables kicking them around <laughs> this thing and I was just, what? All these people from these – I thought they were, you know, top end of town Collins Street types and they were all just acting like absolute rabble. Uh, but it was fun. And then so we well, did that and then we walked across the G and, and sort of had, had – uh, seats about, I reckon, from memory, about ten rows back from the boundary line, about on the fifty meter line. Yeah, wow. I mean, commonly referred to as one of the greatest grand finals of all time. It's interesting though when I I've gone back to watch it recently, and it's an incredible grand final. But the first thing you notice about it is just like how violent it is. <laughs> like you know, before sort of like you know the head is sacrosanct and all that kind of stuff. Like players are just cracking in, and also the pace of the game is a lot slower. Like players now are heaps more athletic, you know, it's much more of a running game. Whereas those guys, all of them are just gigantic. Like they all look like bodybuilders and they're smashing into each other so hard. All natural, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but there were there were rumours. Demi said, well, I think Demi said something that he would make a coffee paste, get a huge caffeine injection you know but it was it was tough look they did you watch that game you notice how they the style of game you know is different um how they are just willing to sort of kick to a contest yeah and sort of back their key position players and that's why i suppose you have more of those big solid six foot two kind of key position six foot three kind of key position you know 90 kilo guys and you kick up and you know, hopefully they can muscle their way into you know winning winning the contest you know instead of this sort of possession and much more running kind of kind of game i mean i am a, a fan of the modern game but you do realize that if the same standards were applied back then how many superstars would have been lost like plugger wouldn't have been playing gary ablett wouldn't have been playing like i heard stewie lowe talking about plugger the other day saying that he never saw him lift a weight once like he would go into the gym he would like you know casually sort of push like one machine and then walk out, but was still like the strongest player at the club. Well, Jason Dunstall, I mean, you look at him, he had he had a great kind of 10, 10 15 yard dash and that was, he didn't really take your pack, pack mark or a flying mark. He got he got 10 metres or five metres in front of his opponent quickly, you know, he, he led late, you know, obviously they had systems and they, they knew which way he was going to go and then boom, took it out in front of him and then he was just, the one thing which I think the modern game lacks is, goal-kicking skill. I mean, he, he would be kicking at 80%. But don't you reckon that's because the players run so much more now? They're fatigued. Like, most of them are, are covering, like, like Ks, like eight on – like, midfielders at least 15 Ks. So you'd imagine with the expectation for, like, team defence and pressure acts in the forward line that even if you're a full forward, you're still probably covering off, like, five or six Ks a game and then you're being asked yeah, to kick goals. But, but the goals, goals win games and it's great to get position. But if you're kicking 50 and 60%, I mean, I would. I, I'm, I agree with you. It's like I would take, lo- take, take take the foot off the gas, mate. You know, keep a little bit of the tank because we're talking. I'm not talking. Not every. Uh, I get you if they're on the run, but a set shot. You've got. You've had. You know, you milk your thirty seconds to. You know, 
to suck him some air and kick straight. But I, yeah. I reckon what we should do, though, is bring back every team gets one old school country footballer, just that bloke who's smoking <laughs> cigarettes before the game, <laughs> like crushing tins at halftime, and there's no expectation on that guy to do any of the training, no preseason, whatever. You just isolate him one out and let him just use his bulk, plugger style or Jason Dunstall or Gaz Senior. Why not? Like, I mean, you've invested heavily in like 43 well, players well, in your list. Let 44 be a country footballer. Well, flip it around. Make it, make it um, instead of like you get to, it's mandatory. You have to. So some people will be like, oh, we only want to do the quick plays. No, you have to have someone. <laughs> that's, 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 that's night. That's, that's, that's yeah, it, it, maybe it's regional. Uh, maybe he's got to tip the scales at least at 90 kilos. <laughs> Yeah, but he's got to be under six foot. He tips the you scales know, at 90 kilos, but he's under maybe, six foot. Maybe he's got to be over 28, you know, over 28, <laughs> over 90 kilos and must at least vape. Yeah, well, there's a few of those guys around, like, you know, Jeremy McGovern at the Eagles, he kind of, he no, he could run, you know, his ass off and he would never lose that weight. He's just got that old school country footballer body. And I think that, like, there's just that, you know, as much as, they do try and draft like athletes and teach them the skills of the game. There is something to be said about that dude who's just inherently just understands. Two words for you, Stuart yeah. Jew. <laughs> yeah, he's the, he's the. I mean, he's the poster boy, right? Stewie Jew. Come I mean, to Hawthorne, win yourself come to Hawthorne, a grand uh, final. Total money ball. It was a money ball move by by Clarko. You know, he'd work with him. Uh, we coached him over at Port Adelaide. Um, and did he have some time out of the game? I yeah, he did. he did. He had some time out of the game and then coaxed him um, back in. And obviously... Could have won a Norm Smith in that grand final. <laughs> oh, he's third I mean, he turned the whole game for you. Yeah, it just shows it to tenacity. It sort of <laughs> and a bit of luck. Like he yeah. just threw, he threw a couple of, couple of shots onto the boot and didn't even look and sort of just, um, you know, it was an incredible third quarter. Yeah, I mean, Stewie Joe, we've you're one of many guests who've been on the show uh, this preseason who's just expressed their love for Stewie Joe. I'm not sure if you saw there was a documentary called um, Making Their Mark, where they followed around different clubs and they were following the Gold Coast around, and Stewie Joe is just the most likable coach going around. Like at one point. They're all going down to do their recovery at like, you know, the beach and all the players are getting into the water and one of them's wearing a beanie and it's kind of, you know, like when you have the beanie just on top of your head and it's like a stovepipe at the top and he says to the kid, he's like, oh, you know who you look like? Have you ever heard of a band called E17? <laughs> this kid's like 18. He's like, no. And he's like, oh, you look like the guy from E17. It's like, great, Stewie, your references are from 1993. Good on your dad. <laughs> So the Hawks, so the Hawks now, um, Sam Mitchell took the reins last year. And you know what? Like, I actually was surprised. I would have thought going before I checked what happened to the Hawks last year that you would have won one or two games, but you won eight games, which is not bad for a team that is pretty much in the rebuild and has one of the youngest lists. From memory, they strung together a few in the back end of the season. And yeah. And then also just had some kind of car crashes as well. So yeah, well, they're, they're this, I think they're the youngest or the second youngest list out there, and it's clear. I mean, I find Sam Mitchell a fascinating character because if you looked at the way he played, like he was ruthless. Like he's got one of those. He's one of those kind of dudes who was always behind the eight ball physically. Like he didn't have the natural attributes of Buddy or, or or Luke Hodge or anything like that. So he had to work twice as hard. So he's got that killer instinct. 
And I think that he applied that killer instinct to getting a coaching job, you know, like he comes into Hawthorne as an assistant and he's just sitting there eyeing off Clarko. So there's some great drama coming into this season when now Clarko's coaching again when North play Hawthorne. But I must admit I was actually really kind of impressed with the way Sam Mitchell coaches and the I think, you know, if you're a coach who, uh, you know, there's exceptions like lethal and stuff, but if you're a coach who comes in and you had all the skills in the world, it must be really hard to be coaching a group of players and be like, well, why can't you just grab the ball from 50 out, turn on your left and just, you know, send it through the middle? Like, what's so hard about that? Can't you just jump on top of that guy's shoulders and take a grab? But Sam Mitchell was never that player. No, but he, he tenacious again, you know, he sort of ne- never give give up kind of player. Uh, and I think that, yeah, you're, you're right. It does, does put him in good stead to be a coach because I, I think I think it's it's effort, isn't it? You know, he's he's not going to suffer falls when it comes to effort. No. I mean, that's the thing. Is he, he strikes me as one of those coaches that you wouldn't want to stuff around with. Like, I think if he asks you to do something, like he's just, I don't know, it's not like a serial killer's <laughs> temperament, but, you know, maybe a hitman. Like he's just got that cool Sam calm. Mitchell, not as bad as a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like when he's talking to you, or no, it's more when you're talking to him and he's just listening. Secretly behind his eyes, he's thinking about the seven ways he could take you apart. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> he's just working out how he, what's the most efficient way to kill you. Well, it'd be interesting. I'll tell you what, um, the rebuilding thing gets thrown around a lot in a lot of clubs, doesn't it? And you know, you it's good sometimes to get the great draft picks and so forth. But when when you let guys go, I was surprised that we let a few guys go. Mm. And then you see them pop up. You know, they're still part of a premiership. I think we've got no one left now um, from that era yeah. pretty much. And and they they let a few guys uh, go. Um, well, Clarko, was, he was trying to do that tricky balancing act where it's like, okay, we've still got a pretty good core. Can we trade out some of these old stars to get some draft picks in and, and not have to bottom out? It's kind of like what Geelong have been doing the last 10 years. But it feels like too many went out. Like, I mean, Hodgie, when he went to Brisbane, was still playing great football. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, we lost a couple and we, um, to Melbourne and we lost uh, you know, some guys that were still adding value. And then even, um, oh, you did got to test people with the names. Who, who, went, to, who went to Geelong? Um, Isaac, Isaac Smith. Oh, Smith. Smith, yeah. I mean, and you're going, well, like, you still need, obviously, I mean, they know better than what I do, but you still go, you still need a couple of blokes that also, you know, Obviously, they'd send your players to, to guide younger players, but also people that expect to win. Yeah, you talk about um, you know the Hawthorne mentality about you know as a supporter, like you expect to win, but it's also in those players, isn't it? Yeah, that you know you can be X amount of goals down at three quarter time, and you expect that you know seventy five percent of the time you can probably get back. But Isaac Smith specifically, you've probably hit upon the one player who is so confident, like that dude. Talk about a strut, and it was weird to kind of see him. I mean, it's still sort of there's, – there's certain players when they, you know, switch jumpers, it just – it doesn't gel. And that one has taken me a long time to get used to seeing him in the blue and white hoops. Last year, your best win of the year was probably beating Geelong on Easter Monday. Like how much does that rivalry mean to you? Is that like the equivalent of, say, like a showdown for you guys when you beat Geelong? Uh, yeah, I think when it used to be Essendon, you know, me growing up in the 80s, it was because, you know – Well, they smashed you last year. So, yeah. <laughs> when they had no when they had no players available, was it the first beat, game? Beat the first game of season. Um, so, uh, for people that don't know, in the eighties, Hawthorne won eighty three, and then Essendon won eighty four after a big comeback, uh, and then sort of smashed us in eighty five, and then so for the rest of the eighties, um, 
you know, uh, it was a great rivalry. And then uh, even after we won '08 um, in '09, we didn't make the finals, and Essendon put us out. Um, for you know, we were in ninth, and there was a Matty Lloyd kind of bloodbath. That wasn't the line in the sand game, was it? No, that was the one where Clarko. Clarko, didn't Clarko go up to Matty Lloyd at three-quarter time and say you're fucked or something the, like that? I think that. the line in the sand from memory was pre-winning the premiership. It was kind of right, doomy. Right, pre-2008. Sort of like, uh, yeah, sort of uh, I've had enough of that. But then, So, yeah, so Essendon used to be kind of the foe. North Melbourne through the 70s, there was a bit of a thing going on. But, yeah, I think ever, ever since 08 and then obviously uh, Jeff famously saying that, you know, we've got the wood on these guys and they'll, they'll never be this again. And then we lost, we lost to Kenneth Kersey <laughs> and we lost, was it 10? consecutively or 11 or something like that. And, you know, I was there for a couple where we lost. There was one on, pretty much on the siren and, you know, it was just mm. so. But they've always been juicy. And then that, that one to the prelim, was it the prelim to get in? We, we beat them in a night game to sort of uh, to, to put them out of the finals. I think it was it could have been the prelim. But, um, yeah, but they've had, they've had the water on us a little bit. So, yeah, the, it is definitely a, uh, a spicy rivalry. And so, like, you talk to Collingwood supporters and they're very comfortable with being kind of loathed, you know, like the most hated club. Like, Collingwood supporters kind of dig it. You know, for the longest time from 2008 pretty much to 2015, like Hawthorne were the most hated club. You know, success breeds envy. I know nothing. Does that I, I, okay? I know nothing of this. <laughs> where, where, where you've all been hating us behind our backs? Is that what you're saying? At least you have the common decency, like to a Collingwood supporter, and hate them to their face. You know. Well, I think it's kind of adorable. Like people are now like, oh, we hate Richmond, and it feels like that's not really it. Like the 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 hatred of Hawthorne is more akin to that, like. Old school. It's it's like if it was an eighties film. You're the the rich jock who bullies the nerds. Like because you're all like doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you guys bomb out of high school because your uncle will give you a job somewhere and you'll you'll end up everything will be fine. That's the thing about Hawthorne. Your slogan should be everything will be fine. <laughs> everything works out in the end. <laughs> we'll, we'll pull up some you know amazing sort of uh, you know trade deal and get some amazing guy to the club, which Clarko was very very good at. You know that's. Uh, um, that was the one thing that he did very well, which I'm still waiting for Sam to do, is sort of pull that amazing kind of trade out. But um, you're right. I mean, I can understand, like, other people rolling their eyes, um, you know. Yeah. Sydney, Sydney supporters, do you find that? Because you would know a lot of Swan supporters. Sydney fans in particular, I guess it was because of uh, 2014 or, when, yeah, or maybe one. 2013. Yeah. yeah. They hate Hawthorne. I was really... Surprise, but I think it's one of those things where it's like it's a- they beat us in twelve. They, they they drafted our best player, yeah, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then we beat them with you know our ex best player in their side. But they just didn't turn, they didn't turn up to play that day. And I think I, I'm sorry, but I, I mean I love Sydney, I live here, but it, it was all over you know uh, the morning shows and so forth. It was because people it's very Sydney centric. Some of those you know the, the Today shows and the, the sunrises and sort of, and I was sort of flicking around and. It was almost fate complete for those because there's a lot of like Swan supporters on those type of shows. And it was like when when we win the premiership, and then even after Hawthorne won it, it was uh, it was stolen from us. It was the, the, the kind of rhetoric. It's it's very sour grapes kind of thing. And they, they they can be they can be you know they can hate us, but I think it was more they just they were arrogant. You know they thought it was already in the silverware cupboard. 
God, this you're talking my language now. We have to talk quietly because I don't want the Swan supporters to hear us. But I've been saying this about Sydney for the last like five or six years. I've noticed a change happen. Like they used to be the Bloods, the no dickheads policy, all that kind of stuff. And there was a, a working class attitude you could get behind with Sydney as a neutral supporter. But I think the success they've had has changed them. I think that the Sydney Swans are becoming more like Sydney the city, which is like there is this level of kind of like entitlement and arrogance and an expectation of success. And that that hatred that I've noticed that Swans ha- fans have for Hawthorne, it all it all tends to be one-sided. It's that kind of thing where, you know, like, oh, it's a rivalry to you, but we don't actually think about you at all. Like I don't know many Hawthorne fans who are like, oh, I love beating the Swans. I can't wait. Yeah, about the Cats or the Bombers, sure, but Swans fans love beating the Hawks, but Hawks fans that I talk to seem quite apathetic about the Swans. Yeah, you're probably uh, – yeah, I wouldn't – I think when you still had the players that used to play with Buddy, yeah, there was probably a bit more spice in it, you know, you know always then. But, you know, really there's no players left in our side that play with Buddy. Um, <laughs> yes. Is he going around again? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, like when he signed oh, no. that nine-year contract. <laughs> We're all going, he'll never make that. Like this will be all like the, the back end of that contract will just be him going around to see yeah. Oz kickers and just making public appearances, you know, and, and they'll, they'll, um, they'll, they'll lighten that back end, you know, and it'll just be a PR exercise. But I'm good on him. Well, it's, it's do incredible. you think when he retires, like, Will he be one of those players like a plugger, you know, who you think of as a saint and a swan, where you think of Buddy as a hawk and a swan? He won a premiership with the Hawks. I think it just depends on, I mean, someone my age and obviously a Hawthorne fan will always, but I, I won't blame my kids who are, you know, some are, I've got one, my, my son, whose name is Bud. I <laughs> I've got one, one son named Bud and one son named Dusty, and it's not because of Dusty Martin. Um, Bud is uh, a Hawthorne fan, even though he's uh, he, he, first year he was brought up in Melbourne, uh, but uh, pretty much been a, so he just sort of followed me, but the other kids are all Swans fans. I don't think they see Buddy at all as an ex-Hawthorne player, just because of their age. I mean, it is amazing when you think about, like, he is, 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 they've extended his contract by another year. That's like a he felt like he'd been in the system for ages when he went to the Swans. The fact that he's getting an extension beyond nine years is well, insane. He kicked a hundred goals, didn't he? He'd already kicked a hundred, won a premiership, and kicked a yeah. hundred goals. It's not that's not a you know a developing player, is it? I mean, that's someone <laughs> at the top of their game. That's why they, they they got him. You know, remember he was supposed to go to GWS, and it was all that big coup. It was thought, well, you know, yeah. You talk about. I mean, you say that the Swans have had the arrogance only recently. I raise my eye. Uh, I mean, the Bloods, that Bloods kind of thing. Look, I, I, I agree when they hadn't won. They were, they were sort of on that kind of Bloods uh, history with Paul Ruse, under Paul Ruse, and, you know, to win that first one back. But, you know, I mean, since then. And for them to be able to sweep in and take Buddy was pretty audacious, really. I mean, I, I've cop- I copped a lot of grief last year from Swan supporters because I was floating this theory that maybe they've lost touch with the common man. <laughs> but it was mainly because <laughs> I went to – I flew to Sydney last year to watch us to watch a Saints-Swans game and we were abysmal. We got pumped by like 10 goals and sitting amongst those Swan supporters. I've never felt more patronised in my life. And the other thing about it is like watching the footy at the SCG – is a very different experience to watching a footy game in Melbourne, especially when, you know, you and I came up in the suburban era like Windy Hill, Moravin, you know, Princess Park. And so when you go to this beautiful ground where there's like sushi available and, you know, there's this lovely sunset behind the grandstand and stuff. Well, it's, a Justin, it's a Justin Hems venue now, isn't it, the SCG? You know, all, all the catering. <laughs> totally. It's basically part of Maryvale, you know. 
the Maryvale Swans. It's lovely, though. I mean, my, I love sitting in the members and, you know, going and getting a, a craft beer, you know, in a glass. It's it's fantastic. But I actually just went – I mean, the last couple of games I've been to last year were Auskick games because my son um, played twice in the, in the Auskick, got a chance to do both. And one of them I was sitting – and in that section where they put all the Auskick kids – in, 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 a, in a, all in the one bay, um, you know, and now, you know, it's there's like seven or eight different Auskick games going on. So there's a lot of kids there, a lot of parents. And it's sort of just in sort of the members' overflow uh, there at the SCG. And that's also where a lot of away people um, sort of buy their tickets. And it was right. Collingwood, Collingwood, <laughs> Sydney. And this was like at the, near the end of the season where it was, it was quite, you know, it was uh, – you know, it was important games to win for positions on the ladder and top four and so forth. Yeah. You really notice the difference between supporters, people with the Collingwood supporters who were desperate to climb the ladder and get a, get a, get a better better spot. Yeah. And then a couple, you know, and I don't want to generalise too much, but let's just say let's there were several, several late 20s, early 30s kind of foursomes and, you know, sick groups of six in, you know, pastel polos, uh, you know, ex- expensive watches, uh, Ralph Lauren, sort of coming down about halfway through the, the quarter, going, "Where are our seats?" And I've got my gin, and it was all. <laughs> and the Collingwood supporters <laughs> were to say losing their shit is an understatement. It's about like they were just. Uh, I mean, I think it was about football etiquette. Was this the game where Collingwood were coming back? Like the Swans had got out to a lead, and then Collingwood were just clawing them back and almost snatched it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I missed half because I was in the rooms putting, you know, the actual game, you know, because yeah, you know, right. you're down there and then you're running on with with, uh, with uh, goalposts under your arm and, and, <laughs> and a white coat on and, and all that kind of kind of kind of gear. But um, but I suppose it's just it's just, like, get back to football culture. Uh, culture when you're in Melbourne, you know, you can yell and swear and scream at each other, but there's kind of that etiquette of like make sure, and especially in an important game, that you've got your seats and you're not trying to find your seats. Halfway you know, through. Almost, yeah, well, like, it's, it's a sacred, it's kind of theatre. You know, you don't walk in at the exactly. theatre show, you know, you, you know, or even the movies kind of like, yeah, it's an over here at the top of your voice. And these Collingwood supporters just, you know, teeth were, were flying. Because I live in the Northern Rivers now, I've um, been checking out uh, some Gold Coast games. And so that's like a boutique, you know, purpose-built stadium, 25,000. It's the equivalent of going to like, well, I guess it's like Giant Stadium in Sydney. But there is such a lack of atmosphere <laughs> At that ground, especially, you know, what we're just talking about, that kind of Melbourne culture when it comes to football. It's actually a lovely ground and it's perfect for what the, where the, the suns are at and, you know, what they're trying to do up there. But, like, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's Carrara. It's yeah. the old Brisbane Bears ground. And there's nothing really around it. Like, you can – there's a car park and – I've heard it's a nightmare to get out there. I haven't been to – again. I've had some friends who live out that way. They're like, oh, we could sort of see the ground from their top, top floor. But, I mean, it goes back to – Culture and these things have to be. <clears throat> if yeah. you are starting a new side, that culture has to be in the conversation. Like the fact that if you want your supporters, to, where are they going to go after the game? Are they coming from from an area that sort of just uh, make a club and and sort of pick? You know, the, the developer gets to pick where where the cheapest bit of ground, ground is to build a ground. Doesn't mean you're going to build a football culture to support a club. You know, and where people are getting out the train and the tram in Melbourne and getting off that thing and all going together and then going to the MCG builds culture. And I mean, I guess it's had a hundred years to do it, but but you know what the thing the thing that's missing at both Metricon and at the Giant Stadium, Rog, is there's no hot jam donut stand. I was appalled. I 
I circled the. I cir- I've circled both stadiums and looking for a hot jam donut. It's like this is what you're getting wrong. <laughs> I don't want your goddamn sushi or your barista made coffee. I want a hot jam donut. And the Mexican ones aren't going to cut it. I'm sorry. They're lovely. <laughs> with the chur- the know. churros. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The churros. I mean, with the, with with the with the chocolate dipping sauce. They are lovely. But if you haven't peeled a layer of skin <laughs> off the roof of your mouth, <laughs> because. Of the, you know, the lava, 100, 100 degrees <laughs> Celsius uh, hot jam donut. I mean, you haven't, yeah, but- have, are you really a football fan? <laughs> uh, Rog, thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we go, uh, we have a ranking system on Two Guys, One Cup in the preseason where we like to place where we think our clubs uh, are going to finish. To make it real confusing, it's got, there's a, it's top six, middle six, bottom six. So where do you fancy so the Hawks won eight games last season, still the second youngest list going around, uh, I think next to North Melbourne. Is there a chance that they could jump up to the finals or do you think it's like more around the bottom six? Oh, I'd be hoping for the middle six. Now, whether that's, that's the ceiling, middle six? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if, if they snuck into the finals in eight, I'd be I mean, happy. that'd be amazing. But I mean, that would be amazing. So, I mean, I, I think that really the – I mean, a couple of players have got a couple of, you know, uh, guys have got a couple of seasons under the belt. But then again, we got rid of uh, Jaeger and, you know, a few other guys. Yeah, so we, we've, we've got rid of another guy. So I don't, I don't know how that's going to work. It sort of feels like we're rebuilding again. So, look, if we, if we get sort of 10th, t- I'd be pretty happy with that, with that as, as it's going, heading the right I mean, direction. is that if to Hawthorne supporters listening, does Rog sound like a loser to your ears? Like this idea of what is 10th? He's saying we can finish 10th. I don't even know what that means. I've never looked less than eight. <laughs> I know, I know. But really, I mean, you know, let's, let's, let's look for the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, don't, yeah, that, that's the thing. Just just wait a couple of years. You'll have another flagship, another three-peat soon enough. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't look too well, do I? <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> Thanks, Rog. Cheers, mate. We are two guys, one.